wisdom, but not always. Here's some things that people have said that their mother taught them. My mother taught me religion. She said, you better pray that comes out of the carpet. <laughs> My mother taught me about time travel. She said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Any of you hear that? Okay. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why, right? Yeah. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. You hear? Yeah. My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And my mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your dad. <laughs> well, what your mother taught you may have been good, probably was, I'm sure it was fine for the most part, but the ultimate authority for life is not mom. If we're a Christian, the ultimate authority is Jesus. And the bigger question is not so much, what did mom teach me, although that's important, but the biggest question is, what has Jesus taught you? In the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And it is one of the most familiar of Jesus' teachings, well-known. It has a lot of phrases and passages that many of you will recognize. Even if you're not real familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of at least some of these teachings. So I'm going to start with a Sermon on the Mount quiz and I want you to help me out on this and give me the answer if you know it. In this sermon, Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. What is that commonly called? Golden rule. Very good. Okay. Complete this. Well, here's the next one. Our Father who art in heaven starts what? Lord's Prayer. That's in there. Complete this sentence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the... You're good. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We'll talk about that one. <laughs> uh, do not judge or you will be judged. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Those are all fairly familiar, all found in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord's Prayer, Golden Rule. Also in this sermon is the do not worry section. It talks about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And ask and you'll receive, knock and will be opened unto you. The Beatitudes are in here, blessed are the poor in spirit and that and so forth. One person said the Sermon on the Mount remains the greatest moral document of all time, which would make sense because it is given by the greatest person of all time. Now, Logan wanted me to call this the greatest sermon ever. And then every Sunday I could say that I preach the greatest sermon ever. I love our worship minister. I don't do what he says, but I love him. So, this sermon contains some of the most familiar teachings of Jesus and it contains some of the most shocking, some of the most bizarre, most difficult, and least understood of Jesus' teachings are in here. And even though many of them are familiar, some of them are, to many of us, just, uh, they're unrealistic. For instance, love your enemies? Seriously? I want to ask, Jesus, do you know how dangerous that could be? Are we to love the terrorists that are blowing up planes and cutting off people's heads? Were the Jews to love their Nazi oppressors? And am I to love someone who's been mean to me and said things behind my back? That's just not going to happen. Unrealistic. Here's another one. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. So if I go to court and the court rules against me, I'm going to give them actually more than what the court allows. You know, give my ex the house and the savings and the kids, you know, and the car. That's crazy. Just unrealistic. How about turning the other cheek? I'm supposed to tell my kid, if a bully hits you, yeah, let him hit you again. Or if someone breaks into my house and takes my TV, give him the furniture as well. I mean, wouldn't it be more prudent to have thieves arrested than to give them more 
And wouldn't it be better to have bullies disciplined instead of giving in to them? Here's the best one. Be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Really? We all know no one's perfect. And we, and we know that. And Jesus commands us to do something he knows we can't do. So what's going on? How about this? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's just sadistic. And maybe the most disturbing one, he says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many enter it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So Jesus, you're saying the majority of people are going to hell? So these are familiar, all right, but they are shocking, disturbing, and sometimes unrealistic and certainly the least obeyed. The Sermon on the Mount has been called an extremist morality one that has not proved possible in practice. It's too high of an ideal for ordinary people. And all through the centuries, it's been a complaint against this sermon. By the way, that makes me feel good that people complained about Jesus' sermon. So go ahead and complain about mine. Makes me just like Jesus. Anyway, I, and I get thinking, uh, and I wondered about kids. You know, kids, do you ever complain about your parents being unrealistic in their expectations? You know, be home by 9 o'clock. What? Go berserk. You're crazy. And I want to say, well, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount and try these. And Jesus makes mom look soft. I mean, this is unrealistic. And what do you do with this, these, these shocking statements? Does Jesus really expect us to live them? And I want to challenge you to read the whole sermon this week. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It won't take very long, about 15 minutes probably in one setting. Uh, maybe it'd be better to read a half a chapter a day or one section a day so you can really soak it in. And when you read it, I want you to read it through the lens of disbelief and shock, not familiarity. I want you to be skeptical. Read it and think about it and ask, is he serious? Read it as if it's the first time you just heard these things and how unrealistic it is. Now, there's some proposed solutions of this dilemma of why Jesus is so demanding. Uh, one solution is that maybe Jesus was thinking of two sorts of believers. Jesus has in mind a select few, the super Christians, you know, monks and nuns and priests who take a vow of poverty and those with a special religious calling. He's not speaking to ordinary disciples like us. So two sorts of believers, the ones up here who are specially called and then the ordinary run-of-the-mill run Christian down here who lives in the real world. And maybe this sermon really doesn't apply to most of us. The only problem with that is Jesus doesn't even hint at two sorts of believers. He preaches this to all his followers. Another option, well, maybe Jesus was communicating the necessity of grace. He's intentionally putting before us this impossible ideal. He knew that we cannot truly fulfill the sermon, so, you know, not even upper echelon Christians. And so Jesus sets us up for failure purposely to show how wretchedly, woefully sinful we are, how far short of the ideal we are, and prepare us to receive the forgiving grace of Jesus. It forces us to run to Jesus for mercy. Lord, I can't do this, and it's a mirror to show us our flaws. Well, we do need to see the Sermon on the Mount in view of grace, and we do need Christ, but the sermon itself nowhere hints that believers are not really expected to live up to these. In fact, quite the contrary. Chapter 7 Verse 26 says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a fool who built his house on the sand and is destroyed. He expects these. He really does want us to love our enemies and not lust after women and not worry and not make God your gold. He really expects it. 
Throughout history, many have softened it, tried to recontextualize it, reduce it. Some cases even abandoned what Jesus taught. So what are we to do with this sermon? I don't have a full solution, but let me make some statements to help us grasp what is going on here. First of all, this sermon is one part of Scripture. This sermon is one word in the sentence of God's revelation to us. It's three chapters out of 1,100 chapters in the Bible. Now, if you have a sentence, you don't determine the meaning of one word and ignore the sentence in which it, it occurs. If I say the word light, you know, just one word, well, you wonder, what am I communicating? What am I talking about? Night light, turn on the light, turn off the light, you're the light of my life, you know, I'm light on my feet. You need the sentence to understand the word, the context. And so we need the whole gospel to understand this sermon. Some people say that this sermon is the quintessence of Christianity, and I would disagree with that. This is not the last, not, not the whole word on Christianity. How could anything that does not refer to the crucifixion or the resurrection be the quintessence of our faith? So we have to read it in the context of the whole Bible. We cannot make this one word the gospel message. Second, Jesus is giving us images for the most part, not laws. In this sermon, we have a man giving an offering. We see someone in prison. We have a body without an eye and without a hand. We have someone being slapped on the cheek. The sun rising on the just and the unjust. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Those are not laws. Those are images. And Jesus is not giving a new, new set of rules, but rather he's seeking to instill a vision, a new way. And if we take everything in this sermon literally, we end up with absurdities. Gouge out your eye if it causes you to sin. Who of you takes that literally? I mean, that's not a law. That's a vivid imagery. It's a hyperbole to show the danger and the deadliness of sin. If it were a law, we'd see a lot of one-eyed people running around in the New Testament, and we don't. A lot of people want to make these into laws. They say, you know, if you don't take them literally, then you're softening it, and you're even aborting what Jesus taught. And I would contend just the opposite. If you make these into laws, you're really not getting at what Jesus is saying. You see, the great thing about laws and what, why legalists like laws, you don't have to think. Just obey. You gouge out your eye and then go on. Well, I did what Jesus told me to do. Well, you can still lust with one eye, you know. With the Sermon on the Mount, you have to think. It's not a legalistic document. We, we need to put on our thinking caps in the next eight weeks. Jesus said, for instance, do not take an oath. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, does that mean... Is that a law for all cases? Can I not take an oath in a court of honor, for instance? Paul broke this law, if it's a law. He took an oath. It's a principle. It's not a law. It's a principle about being honest. And so we take the sermon very seriously, but not always literally. Third thing, there is an end times dimension to this sermon. He sees everything through the eyes of the coming day. These are, I would call, kingdom precepts. This is how the kingdom of God will look when his kingdom comes and his will is fully done on earth as it is in heaven. In the end times, after Jesus arrives, there'll be no more anger, which he talks about. There'll be no divorce. There'll be no retaliation. There won't be any enemies. Blessed will be the poor. The meek will inherit the earth. There'll be no more worry. And we will be perfect, just like the sermon says. And so this is a sermon of anticipation. We anticipate the future, and what he wants us to do is bring the future into the present. Bring a little bit of heaven to earth, just like he prayed in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we fulfill that and try to fulfill it now. And then fourth, it does give us high standards to aim for. 
But that doesn't mean he doesn't expect us to strive for them. It may be impossible to completely keep these teachings, but so is love. You know, can anyone completely be a 100% loving person? Of course not. There's always room to improve. And from that point of view, we could see this sermon as a challenge, you know, to be more like Jesus, to aim high. Philippians 3 called himself perfect, and yet he declares himself to not yet have obtained perfection, and he keeps pressing on. You may not attain it, but aim high, and you will grow. A dad tells his child to not be selfish, knowing full well that child will be selfish at times and not meet the standard. There's one theme woven throughout this sermon, and that is that we are called to be different. In the Old Testament, God said to Israel, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, and you shall not do in the land of Canaan, what they do, to which I'm taking you. You shall not walk in their statutes, either place. In other words, you'll be different. And the law of Moses gave people, that God gave uh, to people was to set them apart. By the way, Jesus here is the new Moses. He goes up on a mountain. He gives a, a new vision, uh, new precepts. And when you read this, you'll notice a phrase, five words very often, do not be like them. And one reason this sermon is so shocking, he's saying, I don't want you to think normally. I don't want you to be status quo. I don't want you to be like the people around you. I'm calling you to a radical lifestyle. And throughout this sermon, the disciples are compared to two groups. One is the worldly people. He says, don't be like them. He said, if you love those who love you, so what? You love your family, so what? Worldly people do that. You love your friends, so what? He said, you love your enemies. Most people hate their enemies. You be different. Worldly people worry about clothing and shelter and money. You don't worry about those things. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You just be different. Don't be like them. You've got different values, you've got a different mindset and different goals. And I hope that we will see how radical it is to follow Jesus as we go through this sermon. I hope it will change every one of us. And, I, and believe me, some of you really need changing. Right? Ask your wife or your teenage daughter. They will tell you. We all need changing. There's another group, though, and I really don't like this one. Jesus said, don't be like religious people. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Don't be like them. Now, those were the preachers of the day. Don't be like them. Ouch. The religious people say, if you don't commit adultery, you're okay. Jesus said, don't even lust. The religious people think if they don't murder, they're keeping the law. Jesus said, I'll say, don't even get angry. See, the temptation for religion is to soften it and make it palatable. Not Jesus. Don't be like religious people. He said religious people put on a big show of spirituality. They pray long prayers in public and, and they'll fast and make sure you know that they're fasting. You don't do that. You just don't be like them. See, there's a lot of people who talk about God, they pray, they claim to love God. You'll see it on Facebook, oh, we're going to pray, you know. Don't be like the normal religious person. You're going to have to be different even from them. Gandhi said there's dynamite in the Sermon on the Mount, and most Christians don't get it. Don't be like most Christians. One other thing, Jesus not only the preacher, he's also the example. Jesus lived these words. Blessed are the meek. He was. Blessed are the persecuted. He was. You're the light of the world. He was. Do not resist an evildoer. He didn't. Turn the other cheek. He did. 
So he not only lays out his ethic for us, but he lives it out. And so I'm calling this whole series Living the Jesus Life. Not living the religious life, not living the moral life, not living the mommy life, not even living the American dream. This is a lot more radical than any other teacher you have heard. There are probably some things mom taught you you need to unlearn. There are probably some things you've grown up and believe living here in America you need to unlearn. And Jesus will transform you if you let him in this sermon. You will change your thinking. At St. Francis High School in La Caneda, California, there's a math teacher by the name of Jim O'Connor. And he's known as being a tough, no-nonsense uh, teacher. He teaches algebra to all boys, and he gets those boys into shape. And he's a Vietnam vet, and he told the CBS News, it drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. So that's his philosophy of teaching. Pat McGoldrick, a senior at St. Francis, says, until people get used to him, they think he's really mean. But that all changed for Pat and his classmates when they visited Los Angeles Children's Hospital to recruit blood donors for a blood drive they were organizing. When the boys mentioned where they went to school, they were immediately met with the hospital staff saying things like, oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? The boys were stunned. And if they were a little honest, they were a little confused about the man they thought they knew. That confusion was cleared up when they saw a plaque in the hospital for all-time donors at the top of the list, Jim O'Connor, a universal blood donor, type O negative. O'Connor has donated a total of 72 gallons of blood and platelets since 1989. But there was more that the boys learned about the, his teacher that day. Jim O'Connor who never married or had children of his own, volunteers three days a week holding and rocking sick and dying babies when their parents cannot be there. O'Connor says of the babies, I don't want to see them alone. We can't have that. O'Connor's students were blown away. I've always respected him, says Pat, but now it's to an even different degree, really to the point that I try to emulate him. Pat O'Connor is a confusing mixture of tough teaching great compassion. And in many ways, Jesus confounds any explanation. Full of compassion, yet his teaching was as tough as nails. Unrealistic. Willing to forgive, willing to reach out, full of mercy, patient, and yet demanding so much. Your mother taught you many good things. Many teachers have taught you well. And they may made some pretty high demands on you, but no one teaches like this. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this word um, and for speaking to us through your son. Words that demand so much and words yet that are also the way to life, a different way, a new way, a new vision. And I pray that this word will challenge us and change us. I pray this word will penetrate our hearts and our minds and our church over the next several weeks and I pray, Lord, that we will be a radical kingdom people and that your will will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.